Welcome back to another episode of Ball in the Corner. Uh, very special guest this week. Uh, delighted to say we've got Derek Ray on the show. Derek, how are you doing? I'm very well, James. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah, we were just saying off air, trying to keep saying during lockdown. That's uh, all we can really do at the moment. Uh, eased, obviously, by the Bundesliga's return announcement today. I know you were covering quite a lot of it on Twitter. How have you sort of seen that been announced by the DFB? Were you expecting it to come back so soon or, or what's sort of the, the mood with that coming back? Well, I think we have to remember this has been an evolving process and it's not just down to the football authorities or it hasn't been down to the football authorities to decide when to return, really until the last couple of days. So government gave the green light. In Germany, of course, that's the federal government and the various state governments. And it has been you know, debated back and forth. And it's not a sort of a simple kind of, um, you know, almost unanimous uh, German voice saying, yeah, we must have football again. It, it really has been very carefully debated. And the DFL, who are responsible for the administration of league football and the top two divisions in Germany have decided that the 16th of May, Saturday the 16th of May, should be the first day back with round 26, which was going to be played back in March. And as I said, the green light came from the politicians that it should be the second half of May. And it is technically 16th of May, second half of May. Yeah, absolutely. I think when the, the games were halted, been someone who follows Dortmund quite a bit. I was really gutted because that weekend would have been the the Dortmund Schalke derby um, for people who who may not necessarily follow the Bundesliga. One of the the biggest derbies in Germany. I think it's fair to say taking my my Dortmund sort of favourable head off for a second. So really excited for that to come back. In terms of Dortmund in the title race, then that's what we're going to cover for the next fifteen minutes or so. How how do you sort of sum up Dortmund's season so far? Do you think that they are able to push Bayern for for the title? For me personally, I think the the real deciding factor in Dortmund's title bid, especially, we'll get onto the other teams shortly, will be that game against Bayern in a few weeks at Signal Iduna. Um, would that be a fair assessment on your end? Yeah, I think very fair. Uh, in terms of summing up Borussia Dortmund's season, I was with them for the very first match of the campaign against Augsburg when they won with ease. And of course, at that time, they had all their new players. Um, the, the general feeling in Germany, as I was sitting covering them that day, was that they were perhaps in a very good position to win the Meisterschale because there were doubts about Bayern and what they had done in the summer. Dortmund were widely seen to have had a much better summer. You know, when you add people, you know, the likes of Julian Brandt and Torgan Azar to the equation uh, for a club that's already strong, you tend to think, yeah, that they have really got this right. They have signed the right players. Mats Hummer is, of course, back at the club. And that was something of a coup uh, because there certainly was a strong case at the time. And there's a strong case now to be made for Hummers as the best German central defender in the Bundesliga, even at this later stage of his career. Um, I think in fairness, though, to use that word again, if you analyze what has happened, at times they have been disappointing. And the disappointment has come from the fact that they have not always played to their potential. Uh, at times they've been mentally a little bit weak, you would say, when they've been in positions where they could win games. Things have changed a bit in the second half of the season because of a fellow by the name of Erling Haaland, who has come into the side, has come into the Bundesliga, and of course has this happy knack of being able to 
pick up any team, it happens to be Dortmund that he's playing for, by the bootstraps, and, uh, and make them winners. So I think the doubts are still there. They're in touch with Bayern. Um, they've got Schalke in this game on match day 26, as it's going to be, at the Zignali Duna Park. The, the derby, and it is my favorite derby anywhere in the world. It, it's the best derby in Germany, the mother of all derbies, as we like to call it. Um, but it is going to be very different. It's going to have a different dynamic with no fans inside the stadium. And um, I think we're all curious to see how that will go. We'd obviously prefer it if fans were uh, in the venue, but uh, we're going to have to get accustomed to that being the case for quite some time. Yeah, definitely. I think in terms of, you mentioned Haaland, Brand, Tottenham Hazard coming in, I think Emre Chan, especially in January, has been a really good addition for them, really sort of shored up that midfield and especially in the home leg against Paris Saint-Germain, did that dirty work, which as good as Axel Witzel has been, has been missing from Dortmund's midfield for quite some time. I think the other key area for them, which unfortunately I think obviously been someone who follows Dortmund, will go against them is the loss of Zagadou at the back. I think when he plays, they look a lot more solid in that back three, back five, however you want to, to call it, with Hakimi and Guerrero on the wings. So I think Zagadou being out for the, the rest of the season probably does give the edge slightly to Bayern, but obviously Akanji on his day is a very good defender. How would you see, obviously, Dortmund going forward? I don't think there's any questions about their offensive play. I think probably on a level with Bayern in terms of offensive play in the division, maybe for depth that they've got in those areas a little bit better. Do you think that that out of the two would be their weakness in the defence? I think so. I, I used the word softness um, to describe them earlier. It's particularly applicable to the defence. And I'm glad you mentioned Zagadou because he was playing so well and having to go without him does make a big difference. Akanji, I'm not necessarily totally convinced yet that he is consistent enough the sort of player that, that you need on a week-to-week basis in order to excel. And, you know, Witzel's little dip, and it was a dip in form, I would say, at the beginning of the Rückrunde, as we say, the second half of the season, um, visible to most people who watched Borussia Dortmund on a regular basis. And we've had, you know, some, some funny combinations at times with Julian Brandt having to play in a deeper position. He can play there. I don't think it's where he's at his absolute best or most useful to the team. Um, you know, last season we got very accustomed to Thomas Delaney playing beside Axel Witzel. So, so you know, no Delaney. Um, Witzel off form, having to sort of piece it together. Um, doubts about the central defence, you know, particularly a Kanji, certainly in my view. It all sort of adds together um, and gives you a slight recipe of uncertainty. But you do have this lightning fast, very creative attack. And Borussia Dortmund have displayed in matches so far uh, in the second half of the season that they can be a couple of goals down and they can come back. That doesn't seem to bother them anymore. But whether you can get away with that week in, week out, I'm still not sure. Um, They certainly have to beat Schalke. I think they would admit that themselves. And they have to go on and beat Bayern uh, in uh, Der Klassiker, which will be on match day 28. That'll be uh, a midweek round, I believe, looking at the fixture list. So a lot of football to be played. Um, Dortmund are in there. But I think if we're being honest, uh, based on the talent at their disposal, they probably should be above Bayern or very close to them, um, given the trajectory of the season and looking at the squads. 
Well, moving on then to Bayern, it was a, a bit of a tricky start for them, managerial uncertainty. Hansi Flick's come in and someone seeing Bayern from the outside, I'm shocked by how well he's done. I always thought he was a good sort of person to be around the football club, but I, I think many people would be shocked as just how much of an impact he's had. The likes of Josh Zerksey coming in as well, getting decisive goals for them. He's really kind of turned a corner and picked up where, no, uh, where Kovac left off. Bayern obviously four points clear at the moment. We mentioned that Dortmund game coming up in a few weeks' time. I think even if they don't win that game, I think they are still in pole position. Having a look at their running, I think they do have, what being Bayern Munich, most games in the, the Bundesliga you'd expect them to win. I think Bayern, unless there are key injuries to key players, I think would be favourites at the moment. How impressed are you with the job that Hansi Flick's done since he's come in? Hugely impressed. Uh, I think we knew when he came into the job that everything was just at a bit of a low ebb. Um, Players weren't happy. They weren't playing to their potential. I think there was a bit of disenchantment with Niko Kovac. I felt a bit sorry for Kovac because I think he's a good coach. I think it was just sort of wrong circumstances, wrong time. Um, He never necessarily felt he had the full trust of the decision makers at Bayern. And, um, you know, when they got thrashed by Eintracht Frankfurt, I remember that game back in the autumn, you know, that that was it. It it was not going to happen for them. It was not going to function. And they made the decision to go with Hansi Flick, who had been part of the coaching staff under uh, Niko Kovac. They made the decision to go with him initially on a short-term basis. And you could see almost immediately that things picked up and players started to say, I like working with Hansi Flick. I, I... would find that to be a very acceptable solution. And, you know, then they did it until Christmas time. And then it was logical it was going to be until the end of the season. And now we know it's longer than that. So, I mean, they do have a, a good fit in, uh, in terms of having the right person in charge now. Somebody who I think understands the club, which is important at Bayern. It can be very political, intensely political. You've got to be able to sort of sort your way through that and, and feel it out. And, um, you know, Thomas Müller is probably the, the one example you would cite as a player who has been completely transformed by the change in coach. Um, under Niko Kovac, he wasn't getting into the team. And we know that Müller is a Bayern legend, somebody who certainly understands the club more than just about anybody from the area uh, in his DNA. But he wasn't getting a game. And, and Flick comes in and... Immediately, almost, Muda becomes the key figure. He starts doing what Muda does best. He's unorthodox at times, but he, he knows how to set up goals. He can finish a few of them as well. He brings other players into the game. So, um, you know, that would be the one kind of notable example of, of a, a difference in a player. Lewandowski all season has been, you know, doing what Lewandowski does best, which is finish with authority. And, you know, the other pieces are in place, um, I think, for Bayern. And they'll be disappointed if they don't push on from here and win another Meisterschale. Although I did cover them. I was in Munich for their game against Leipzig uh, back in, when was that, February. Uh, and it was a nil-nil draw. It was a good nil-nil draw. You know, it wasn't a, a, a drab uh, defences on top necessarily nil-nil draw. It had its attacking moments as well. Um, they will have expected to win that game, but they didn't. So that makes you think that Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund potentially can sort of help each other a bit here because sometimes when you have two teams in it, you know, both um, firing punches at the champion and the champion is Bayern, we've got to say, you know, they are the defending champions. But if you've got two people in there able to damage the 
the big heavyweight, to, to use another boxing analogy, then um, you know it, it, it could happen for either of those teams that I mentioned. Well, moving on then to Leipzig, very good last couple of years for them. They've slowly been improving each season. I thought this year, considering where they are in the league at the moment, I did think that they would be closer to Bayern um, in terms of, of challenging them and mounting a sustainable challenge. I think, obviously, you mentioned that draw with Bayern, which was a good point for them. But looking at their recent form before the sort of the break, there was quite a few draws in there. Would you say that consistency in terms of turning those draws into wins has been their sort of biggest hindrance this season so far? Yeah, they were disappointed with that run at the beginning of the Rukrunde, the second half of the season. Um, you know, I suppose against that, you know, they played Gladbach in one of those games and that was a thrilling 2-2 draw that saw them come back from 2-0 down. So a bit like Borussia Dortmund, they do have the power to be able to, to come back and, and they have explosive talent all over the pitch. And what I do like about them is that there's been a changing of the guard to the point where some of the pioneers of the club, and let's not forget they uh, came from effectively the fifth division all the way to the Bundesliga in a short space of time. Some of the pioneers, you know, going back to the, the third and second division days, um, Yusuf Paulsen, Emil Forsberg, we think of them as indispensable parts for Leipzig, but some of them are now sort of taking a backseat to the newer players who have come through and, and, and been signed. Uh, you know, people like Patrick Schick, you know, would, would be a very good example of that. Um, Christopher Nkunku, another one. So I, I think there's more depth to what they do. I think Julian Nagelsmann has helped them with their evolution because what we have to remember with Leipzig is in their DNA, they are a pressing and counter-attacking team. And that's still what they do better than any other aspect of the game. But with Nagelsmann, with some of these other players, um, they ability of Leipzig to do damage as a possession team is there, to be more of an all-round team, to not just be waiting for mistakes by the opposition and then pouncing on the counter-attack using the, the pace of Timo Werner. Um, they are more multifaceted, I think, is, is probably the best way to say it. Um, but, you know, still there can be one or two mistakes and, and it could be that they will rue those drop points at the beginning of the Rukrunde. It was a good point against Bayern. I thought they deserved it. I thought um, after being a bit under pressure on the first 20 minutes of that game. They settled into a nice rhythm and didn't really look as though they were going to lose. They could have won the game as well. Uh, Werner had a very good chance that he squandered. But, um, you know, they are going to be in the upper echelon of German football, I, I think, for, for some considerable time. And everybody had better get used to that. Definitely, yeah. I think, as you hit the nail on the head there, their high-pressing, high-tempo football is what has sort of push them into that upper reaches of, of German football at the moment. I think one big miss for them, especially seeing it from my point of view this season, has been since November, I believe it was, when Willy Orban was injured. He seems to really shore up that defence. Obviously, Upa Meccano and, and Mukiel, very good young defenders, but I think that steady head of Orban in between the two of them, which potentially you know, has had that knock-on effect of, of dropping points, I think, though, definitely that they will get Champions League football. Uh, I don't think that's in, in any doubt. I think probably this season might be a season too soon for them in terms of really mounting a sustainable challenge for the Bundesliga. But as you mentioned, with that depth that they have now with people like Nkunku, Patrick Schick coming in, obviously if they can keep hold of Werner and, and keep hold of the likes of Forsberg and Sabitzer, they will be a, a real threat going forward, even more so than they, they already are. 
they sort of the three that we've covered there, Bayern, Leipzig, and Dortmund, I expect to be the top three in terms of the league once it finishes on match day 34. The two other teams that I've got as potential dark horses for challenging for the, the Bundesliga, the Meister Schala Trophy, uh, are Leverkusen and Gladbach. We'll go to Gladbach first. Obviously, very, very good start to the season. Choram playing you know, superbly up front and at times almost carrying them single-handedly. What have you made of their season so far? I've enjoyed watching them, I have to say. I think Marco Rosa uh, is the right coach for this team. And it was a bit of a bold move, you know, to, to make that switch because they weren't doing horribly under Dieter Hecking. Yes, there'd been a sag in the second half of last season, but it was a recognition on the part of Max Eber, who for me might be hands down the best football administrator, if you like, in the Bundesliga. There was an admission on his part that they, they wanted a, a different way of, of playing. Um, and, you know, with Rose, they are really kind of more the Leipzig style uh, in terms of, um, you know, power football, if you like. Um, it's, it's high pressing. It's, you know, the power project is what they, they call it there in München Gladbach. And, you know, the Foles have certainly been on the gallops um, for much of the season, particularly the early part of the campaign when they were the team to beat, I think you would say. Um, I think it was always understandable that it was going to be a bit difficult for them to stay where they were. Um, and I say that because I don't think the depth is quite there in comparison with, say, Leipzig. Uh, who we were discussing. I think the first 11 is very good, but I think if a few injuries come into play, then they struggle just that little bit more. And, you know, some of the players, Lars Stindl has been a great servant, but I'm not quite sure he is where he was two or three years ago. He's had injuries as well, in and out of the side. Um, But I I very much like watching them. And I, I think they probably will be a top four team. And, you know, a club that a lot of people identify with, that they're a real you know, they're a genuine football club and they mean so much to the people who support them in the Niederrhein region. So I would say Borussia Mönchengladbach, who've, you know, been a team mostly on the up the last few years, a couple of seasons when they've been on the down, but mostly on the up, I think have, have made, you know, pretty well spot-on decisions uh, led by Max Eber and now by uh, Marco Rose. Yeah, you mentioned there the, the maybe a potential lack of squad depth, obviously the injury to Dennis Sicaria who has been linked with a, a move away from the club and other likes of Manchester United and, and Arsenal have had their name thrown around him. With that lack of depth, looking for their sort of signings from last summer, the only real sentiment that they brought in was Laszlo Benes from Holstein Kiel. That seems to be an area for me when I watch them. Obviously, they have good offensive players and quite a solid backline. It's in that very centre of the park where they... They do lack a little bit of depth in terms of sort of me watching them. Would you say that that is the area that they do need to focus on strengthening in the summer to take them to that next level as being a team that can really get in the top four each season? Probably. Um, Dennis Zakaria is sort of two players in one. I mean, he, he can do a lot there in midfield, but it remains to be seen. Uh, you know, what the future holds for, for Denis Zakaria. Um, you have Christoph Kramer, who feels a bit like an old stager now. He's not really, but he's, he's been a reliable servant. He's not the, the kind of player who's going to get you off your seat, but, but you, you need somebody like uh, Christoph Kramer in the centre of midfield, and, and he can do that job for Gladbach. Benesch, I've seen one or two, you know, flickers from. I, th- I think he can, he can do certain things well. He's, he's, you know, good when it comes to uh, delivering set 
plays, free kicks. Um, but yeah, it probably is the area where you would identify, you know, slight holes in the squad. Uh, Tobias Tober is a, a player who's been around for a long time, but again, is he the sort of level that you're looking at in terms of a, a first-choice player for a club that has Champions League aspirations? So, yeah, it's probably all fair comment, but, you know, I still think that if you judge the body of work and you judge what they have and what they're doing with a new coach, with a new system, um, I, I think you've got to give them very high marks. Definitely. I think in terms of teams in the top half of the table this season, they, along with Freiburg, would be my most improved team for a team that have done more than what I expected from them. I think the likes of Dortmund and Leipzig with the players that they brought in, I expected them to sort of kick on, which they have done in parts. But I think Gladbach especially, I've been really impressed with the way they've gone about. And I think another two or three years down the line, definitely they will be one of the teams who are challenging Dortmund and Gladbach for that top two, three. I think they've got a long way to go in terms of matching and catching Bayern over the course of a season, especially with then Champions League football being added in as well. But I think definitely they, as you said, are heading in the right direction. The final team then, which I wanted to talk about in terms of challenging for the the title this season, quite a way back in terms of making up points on Bayern who don't drop too many points. I believe they're eight points behind at the moment to Bayer Leverkusen. Another team who have done very well the last 18 months to two years, obviously kicking on Kai Havertz has been a, a real driving force behind that. I thought, even though I was delighted from a Dortmund perspective, letting Julian Brandt go in the summer could potentially have set them back a bit. But in fairness, they seem to have kicked on from that, made some very good signings and kept the majority of that core together. How have you seen Leverkusen for this season? Did you expect them to have a dip off with the loss of Brandt? Or do you think Havertz and, and Co have sort of carried them so far this season? Well, it's interesting. Maybe we start with Kai Havertz. And what I would say is I thought he actually had quite a disappointing first half of the campaign. Um, you know, certainly in comparison with the standards that he set for himself and for Bayer Leverkusen. He's undoubtedly very talented. And sometimes with a very talented player, we can maybe, you know, be guilty ourselves of assuming that uh, he he should, you know, dominate the world every time he goes out there onto the pitch. Um, He's been better, I think, in his games since they returned from the winter break. Um, I I know as a Dortmund fan, you won't want to be reminded of the the game in Leverkusen. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, it, to me, it was probably the, the game of the season in the Bundesliga. And we saw all about the attacking quality of, of Bayer Leverkusen in that match. And, you know, they are very well blessed uh, with, with good attacking options. They can get a number of different players to, to fill specific roles in attack. Kevin Folland is a player who I absolutely love. I, I, I think Kevin Folland would be in, in, if I were a manager or coach, he'd be in my team every time. And of course he's been injured. So, uh, you know, the idea was they would have to shuffle things around and that probably is still the idea. So that will, will hurt them a little bit uh, with regard to the matches to come. But again, I think the, the plan is good. there. I think um, in Germany, I'm a big believer that it's not just getting a good coach. It's getting a coach who fits the philosophy and the ideas of the club. And often that stems from the sporting director, who again has to have certain ideas. And it's about finding that right marriage in terms of how it all works. Now, at Leverkusen, you have Rudi Fuller, you know, legend, certainly a legend to somebody of my vintage because I watched him play and, and what a striker he was. Um, but, you know, he sort of 
runs the, the, the sporting side of the club, but really delegates most of the sporting responsibilities to Simon Ralfes, who used to play in midfield much more recently for, for Bayer Leverkusen. And um, in Peter Boss, they have a, a coach who, um, you know, you'll remember from Borussia Dortmund, came in with his ideas from his time with Ajax, started really well, and then whoo, just went the wrong way. And he was out of a job. Uh, at Leverkusen, he was able to make some of his mistakes early on. It was a bit up and down. But in more recent times, it's been up. It's been pretty consistent, I think, for the most part. And there's a lot to like about Bayer Leverkusen. The way they play football, it's very easy on the eye, I have to say. I mean, I think all the teams really in the top five in the Bundesliga at the moment are eye-catching in their own way. They don't do it the same way. Um, but, uh, you know, Bayer Leverkusen are... One of these teams that can keep the ball uh, really well, you know, that's part of the, the boss philosophy. But at the same time, they work just about harder than any other side. I mean, that's a rare sort of double act to, to be able to, to perform um, those two things simultaneously, to be good in possession, yet to run more than any other side. And the, the, uh, the running stats in the Bundesliga bear out the fact that that's exactly what Tobias Leverkusen are these days. Yeah, I think I, I went to the, the Leverkusen Fortuna Dusseldorf game uh, in end of January, I believe it was. And to echo that point, I thought first half Fortuna were matching them, but that running off the ball, on the ball that Leverkusen did, the majority of Leverkusen's goals, I think it was 4-0 in the end, came in the, the latter portion of the second half and echoes your point. I think Kai Havertz, to go back to, to your first point, a little bit disappointing in the start of the start of the season. Had such a phenomenal season last year for a young player that it was always going to be tough to carry that on. In the the game against Fortuna while we were there, my my friends who came with me aren't the biggest German football fans. Came more for the atmosphere and hadn't really seen Havertz a whole deal. They'd seen glimpses of him on the TV and were you know blown away with just how impressive he was that day and. I think yeah, getting him back to the way he was playing last season has been has been especially in the second half of the season for the short period was part of that upswing. I think as you said as well, Peter Bosch about matching a club's DNA didn't quite work out for him at Dortmund. I think there's no doubt he is a very good coach. I just don't think he fit that mould at Dortmund and at Leverkusen now he seems to really be flourishing in that role. He's got those mistakes out of the way where. I think it's safe to say at Leverkusen, he was afforded a bit more time to make those mistakes and not under as much pressure and scrutiny as he was at Dortmund when it, it started to go wrong in quite dramatic fashion. So I think definitely, yeah, he he would be a, a perfect fit for Leverkusen in terms of for them to kick on and similar to Gladbach, mounting a sustainable charge for that top four in seasons to come. Where would you say that they need to strengthen in the, the next sort of two or three transfer windows? I think they have to pay attention to what's happening um, in attack. And I say that because, uh, you know, Havertz, again, how realistic is it that they're going to be able to hang on to him for long? Not very realistic. You know, I think obviously this pandemic may change attitudes in terms of how transfer business is conducted. But, um, you know, that is one area. Um, I know Lucas Alario has been quite frustrated his uh, his inability to get into the team. He's a good player, but is often kept out by Folland. You know, should get his chance in the, the weeks ahead. Uh, I think they need to keep a weather eye on on what's happening there because you know they are talented in those attacking positions. Um, Karim Belarabi is a player I have a lot of respect for, but I wonder if if he has just dropped off a little bit. 
you know, very pacey, very direct, but, um, you know, not necessarily had the best of seasons when he's played. So I, I think some of those attacking positions just need to be monitored. And, you know, Charles Arangis is, is a player who strolls through games, but uh, last I checked, his contract is up at the end of the season and uh, may want to go back to South America. So, um, you know, a few positions where I think they have to, to just keep an eye on, on what's going on. Defensively, they can be, you know, hit or miss, um, but broadly pretty good. You know, broadly, I think the balance is right. And, and I would expect, every reason to expect, I think, that Bayer Leverkusen will continue to be amongst the, the big players in German football for a while. Definitely agree with that. Just before we, we sort of wrap up for this portion of the, the episode, Derek, if I was to push you for your top four in order for the, the remainder of this season, who would you go for and, and in what order? Starting with who would be champion down to four? Um, you're not going to like this answer at all, James, but I'm, I'm always honest. I always say what I think. Uh, Bayern will be champions again. I think Borussia Dortmund might just edge Leipzig for a second, but I think that will be very close. And for fourth place, I do believe it will be Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah, you've gone the same as me, even from a Dortmund perspective. I think Bayern, if it was a point rather than four points... I think I'd be a bit more hopeful. I think the the fact that they need to win at Signal Iduna in the game in a couple of weeks and then still it's hope Bayern drop points further down the road. And I think that means Dortmund have to win every game as well, which as we said, you know, they can be a little bit inconsistent at times, especially with sort of injuries in key areas. So as much as it pains me to say, I think you, uh, you're spot on with that. Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've uh, listened to the Bundesliga for the best part of sort of five or six years now, and you're one of the voices sort of synonymous with it for me. So pleasure to have a, a chat with you today about all things German football, which I don't usually get the opportunity to do over in England, where the majority of my friends are obviously Premier League fans. So it's been, it's been a real pleasure to, to be able to chat to you. Well, thank you for having me, James. That's all I can say. And let's look forward to a lot of action-packed Bundesliga uh, with no fans, sadly, but nevertheless action-packed Bundesliga in the next few weeks. Episode 4 of Ball in the Corner. This week I have the pleasure of being joined by FIFA commentator and Bundesliga expert Derek Ray. Me and Derek spoke about the Bundesliga title race, covering the top five teams that we think will take home the Meisterschauer at the end of the season. So sit back, relax and enjoy. <laughs>